You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Friends, it's a great delight to be with you at church uh, though we couldn't make it away this weekend for uh, the camp. Uh, I'm speaking to us from Psalm 121 because I want us to know the confidence and stability that comes from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So my goal in preaching this afternoon is that you might grow in confidence and feel more stable in your life of faith. Well, when uh, lockdown first struck us last year, I knew I had to make some decisions that would help me survive the long haul. I lived by myself, so I had to think very carefully about what was going to help me maintain my spiritual equilibrium. Uh, Not so much my spiritual equilibrium, but I made sure I bought a new speaker for playing music on. My old speaker in the lounge had gone bust and I knew I needed to listen to some music that would help me emotionally. Uh, I subscribed to Netflix, also not a particularly spiritual response. But what I did do more spiritually was decide that each day I needed to walk along my local creek, the Mooney Ponds Creek, just near my house in West Brunswick. But not just walk along the creek, but walk along the creek and look up, look up towards the trees and the birds in the trees and towards the sky as often as I could because I knew that I would very soon feel like my world was small and that I was locked in. It was a danger not to be able to think that God is big and could do something outside of my small little patch. So I deliberately listened in to hear the birds chirping, to see the gums when they were flowering, and to remind myself that though my world feels constrained, God's is not. I should keep looking for signs of his power and so find some measure of stability in a very, very strange world. Well, in... Psalm 121, the psalmist is on their way to Jerusalem. These are psalms of ascents, the kinds of songs that they sang on the road. And that road could be dangerous physically, spiritually or emotionally. So it's perhaps no surprise to find at the beginning of the psalm, in verse 1, the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountains, from where does my help come? So the psalmist is on the road and is deliberately thinking big thoughts about God and lifts his eyes to the mountains to think about how big God is. Now, the assumption often when we read this is that we should look at mountains and be reminded of God's creative power. We live in a world where mountains are beautiful, but actually in 
the world of the psalmist, mountains were often seen as being immoral places. Uh, on these mountains were shrines to other gods, perhaps prostitutes serving other gods, incantations to other gods. The mountains themselves could provide lots of distractions. So listen to this verse from Jeremiah 3.23, where Jeremiah speaks about the mountains. Truly, the mountains are a delusion. There are orgies on the mountains. Now, we go skiing in mountains and we like the view from mountains, but we have to remember that in the psalmist world, mountains weren't seen as positively as we might think of them. In fact, he's lifted his eyes to the hills and asks his question, where does his help come from? He realises his help isn't from the mountains, but verse 2, from the one who made the mountains. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He looks higher than the mountaintops and thinks about the Lord who made it all. He's taken a very important spiritual posture to continue looking beyond the physical reality of our experience to the one who sits above it and rules over it and created it in the first place. So what does he then conclude when he's thought about the wonders of our Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? Well, in the remaining verses of the psalm, verses 3 to 8, the major theme is that the Lord is our protector, or in some versions of the Bible, the Lord is our keeper. Did you notice the repetition of the word as the scriptures were read for us? And the word, the protector or the keeper or the guardian is the same word that appears in Genesis 2.15 to describe the way Adam might keep or protect the garden. For God isn't the God who sets the world going and then forgets about the world. God is like the gardener who keeps working in the garden to keep it productive. You know that you can't just set up a garden and then forget about it and let the weeds grow. You have to tend the garden. You're constantly involved with the garden in just the same way that the Lord keeps the psalmist. The Lord keeps you and me. The Lord guards us and is concerned about us individually. The Lord is our keeper. We can speak about God's providence, which is a technical word, but here in the psalm, the theme might be providence, but the language is of God, our keeper our protector, a much more personal way of thinking about what it means that God runs the world as its creator and redeemer. The Lord stands guardian constantly, day and night. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved or slip. He who protects you, keeps you, will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God is so strong, he doesn't need to rest. God is always awake looking out for us. He has sleepless nights so we don't have to. He provides around-the-clock protection, as an advertising executive might suggest. God is caring for us even when we're not aware of it. One of the most constant prayers I pray is that God would bring into my life people who would nurture me and care for me and watch out for me and that the Lord would keep out of my life people who would harm me or distract me or hurt me as a Christian. And he's abundantly answered that prayer, though I haven't been able to see the the very people that he's kept out of my life. I can just see the way that others have blessed me. God is keeping me even when I can't see what he's doing. Do you remember the story in the book of Numbers 21 to 24 about King Balak? and the prophet or the seer Balaam. It's a strange story in the middle of the book of Numbers. The people are marching towards the promised land. And then we get this other story, which doesn't seem to have much relevance to the story of the people of Israel's progress, until you realise the story's there to help us understand that even though Israel didn't know it, God was protecting them from being cursed by King Balak. They didn't know that God was protecting them and keeping them. They had no idea, but he was doing it anyway. Friends, the Lord keeps us. The Lord protects us constantly, even when we're not really sure what he's doing. He's protecting us even if nothing dramatic is happening. But the Lord's protection, his keeping, is not just constant. It's powerful. He protects us from all evil in every part of my life, we learn in verse 7. He protects us in our going out or in our coming in. That is from the beginning of the day to the end of the day and everything in between, from this time forth and forevermore. He is so strong, he buffers us so that the world can't do its worst. He's the shade at our right hand in verse 5. The sun won't strike us by day nor the moon by night. Of course, we've felt pain or disappointment in our Christian lives. And sometimes we might look at verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved and think, is that really true? And, of course, there are other psalms where the psalmist says, like Psalm 73, my feet had almost stumbled. But at least in Psalm 121, the psalmist is reminding us of God's power and reminding us that evil cannot do its worst, even if from time to time we feel its pangs. God buffers us from the worst that the world can do. 
when I was going up, I watched a show on TV, which probably none of you have ever heard of, called Lost in Space. There was a movie some years ago picking up the themes of Lost in Space, but for me it was one of my favourite shows. And what I like particularly about the spaceship that they travelled in is they could flick a switch and create a force field around the ship which would protect them from the bad guys on any particular planet that they'd landed on. And this is what Psalm 121 is trying to suggest, that we might feel some sense of disappointment or evil, but God is not letting that evil do its worst. I lived for a number of years in Germany, and I remember the most stupid thing I ever did. I was running late for a train and decided that I had to catch the tram that was pulling into the tram platform that moment, otherwise I'd miss my train. So what I stupidly did was to jump into the tracks, which were only about a foot lower than the platform, and run across the two sets of tracks so I could get the tram coming in on the other side. What I didn't pay attention to was that there was a tram about to pull in on my side of the tracks. And when I saw it ring its uh, approaching and ring its bell, I tripped and fell into the tracks such that my legs were on one set of tracks and my arms were on the other set of tracks. And on both sets of tracks, was a, a tram was pulling in and had slammed on its brakes. So I survived, you'd be happy to hear. I got up, though I had a backpack on, which made me feel a bit like a turtle. It wasn't really easy to get up off the tracks. I was bleeding. I got onto the platform and people were cursing me for being an idiot. And I got onto the tram feeling very dazed. And the tram driver gets, gets onto his PA system and curses me and tells me that that stupid passenger just got on board. Please note that no one should, you know, take his example. So, of course, I quickly turned open the Psalms to try and find the Psalm that David wrote when he'd almost fallen under two trams. Now, as it turns out, I couldn't find that Psalm, but Psalm 121 was the closest I got, that God had protected me from the worst that evil could do. Please note as well that it's not just that God's constantly involved and powerfully involved with our lives. He's personally involved as well. He's not sending some other wind or physical means to protect. He's doing it himself. He's the subject of these verbs. He's the one who's coming between me and the sun or the moon. He's the one who is engaging with me personally. He has our back. For being a Christian is not just believing that there is a God somehow, somewhere. It's about believing that God has come close personally and that he wants to reveal himself to us. Listen to these few sentences written by a hero of mine, Jonathan Edwards, an 18th century pastor who speaks about how he came to be a Christian. He writes, As I was walking in the fields and looked up at the sky and looked up at the clouds, there suddenly came into my mind 
a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God and that I know not how to express. I seem to see in them both majesty and meekness joined together. It was a sweet and gentle, a holy majesty, a majestic meekness and awful sweetness, a high and great and gentle holiness. The appearance of everything was altered. God wants us to know that when we look at the creation, we're allowed to see his kind hand caring for us in ways small and large every day. And though the writer of the psalm wouldn't use this language, he describes the Lord as our keeper. We Christians can address him as our father. He's our keeper, but to highlight the personal characteristic of the Lord being our keeper, we've been taught to pray to the Lord, our heavenly father. This is these words from Jesus in Matthew 6. I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Friends, we have the great keeper, our heavenly Father, who knows us better than we know ourselves and knows exactly what it is that we need today to keep walking the Christian walk. It might not be that what he gives us is what we imagine he should have given us, but that doesn't mean he hasn't been kind. Uh, you, you know the, the old story that when you get lost in the Swiss Alps, they'll send out a St Bernard dog to track you down. And the St Bernard has a little barrel of whiskey attached to its neck. The idea is that when the dog finds you, you can take a swig from the whiskey and feel warm. But you know what? The weird thing is you might feel warm, but actually what you're feeling is the heat leaving your body. You feel like you're doing better. Actually, you're losing core heat. The worst thing you can do when that St. Bernard dog finds you is take a swig of the alcohol. We might feel it's good for us, but actually it isn't. We might think we know what we should have from the Lord, but he's the one who knows what we really need and is our keeper 
will give to us exactly uh, what's best for us. Friends, this psalm helps us to think confidently about God's care of us and provides some stability when the world feels out of control. This psalm is reminding us that the world might feel out of control, but with the Lord as our keeper, we should not panic. Eugene Pedersen, who's written so beautifully of the Christian life, says, all the water in all the oceans of the world cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Is that not fantastic? All the water in all the oceans of the world cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. The world might be stormy. Our job is not to let that kind of confusion get inside us, but rather to thank God daily for his mercies and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We are forgiven sinners, but we're, importantly, children of our heavenly Father. We shouldn't just resign ourselves to our fate, but seek out his face, trust in him and delight in the gifts that he's chosen to give us. Christian discipleship is not just about accessing a force, but beholding the face, the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, we might look to the hills, but beware that we have to look beyond the hills as well. We have to look beyond the creation to the one who made it all in the first place. Indeed, we look beyond the hill to the cross which stands on the top of it and see that in the maker of the universe, we have one who cares for us through the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, on that hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Friends, entrust yourself to God our keeper for behind the difficulties of our world, we might yet see his smiling face the one who loves us and gave himself to us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.